I like the first of the year. I like that folks make resolutions. Uh, I find that I don't always keep all the re resolutions that I make, uh, but I like new beginnings and I like a fresh start. And the new year allows for that in so many, many ways. I would encourage you to hear Brother Bradley's message. It was along the lines of a new beginning and it was a real blessing out of 1 Peter. Please tune in and listen to it on the Baptist Bible Hour. It will be a blessing for you. In looking at my life, specifically, there were two times in my life that I remember that I can uh, look back as a benchmark of a new beginning in my life that was, uh, was a, a change in my life. One was when I was baptized. I remember that uh, when I was baptized that uh, things were different after that, and it was a great blessing, and, and I've never looked back on my baptism or from that experience. It was a, it was a new beginning for me. I was greatly disappointed in one thing. I thought that after I was baptized, I'd never struggle with sin again. I mean, I'm 15 years old, so I at least have a little bit of an out for thinking that, that uh, being uh, misconceived that I thought I wouldn't struggle with sin. And I was sorry to say that before the end of the day, I realized that my sin nature was not totally eradicated when I was baptized. But it did help identify me with a group of folks, with a group of followers in Jesus Christ. And so for that, I was thankful, and it's been a blessing. Uh, there's been several benchmarks along the way in my life, but that was one of the most memorable uh, benchmark uh, changes in my life. Another time that I remember uh, a new beginning or a fresh start was uh, when I moved to Maryland, pastor the church here at Mount Carmel. Uh, I had a lot of friends, a lot of friends in the church back in uh, Texas and knew a lot of folks in West Texas, but also had a lot of relationships uh, outside the church, working relationships and uh, business and uh, family and in other areas like that. And I remember when I moved to Maryland that I made it a priority to, um, to make sure that my really good friends were in the church or Christians. Bray, if you'll look up the song, The House of the Lord, I think it's 227, and if you'll find that and hand me a book, I'd appreciate it. Uh, that was a a big help because in Texas there were a lot of uh, uh, associations that I had with people that I worked with that we'd become good friends. And when I made the effort and put forth the emphasis that my good friends were going to be the Lord's people and in the church, it helped me in other areas of my life as well. I was not in settings that I face temptations or had to make decisions about. Uh, I think it's 227, I believe. What was or, the name of the song? Uh, you may sing of the beauty. That's 218. If you'll turn there, I'd like to read a verse. And this, this song ministered to me, and it's one of the things that convicted me about when I moved to Maryland that it was a new beginning or a fresh start. It talks about the house of the Lord, and the third verse says this. You may value the friendships of youth and of age and select for my comrades the noble and sage. But this is the part that ministered to me. It's not to say that you don't have acquaintances or friends outside the fellowship of the church. But what it is saying is that your best relations should be the people of God 
And here's what it says. But the friends that most cheer me on life's rugged way are the friends of my master, the children of God. It's a real good place to start to establish and build and have good friendships is in the house of the Lord. It's not to say that everybody in church is perfect. That's not the case because we struggle with that Adam nature. But I like new beginnings. And the first of the year gives us a, an opportunity. I think that it allows us to make some personal, uh, physical changes. Um, after the first of the year, I cleaned out a closet, cleaned out a dresser. I've got proof of it because I went to Goodyear, a good, not Goodyear, Goodwill, and I got a receipt for the stuff that I turned in there. And I thought if I can't use it, maybe somebody else can. And so sometimes there's some things that we need to look and we need to clean out in our life. Uh, went to the doctor recently and they said, you've got high blood pressure. And I said, I don't have high blood pressure. And they said, well, it's what it says. And checked it two or three times and said it is high. And I said, well, that's because I'm here at the doctor's office. I mean, that's a good excuse for having high blood pressure. And I thought, well, I can either make some changes. I said, what can I do? And they said, well, you can take a pill. And I said, I don't want to take a pill. What else can I do? They said, well, you can do some other things. So I got a blender and I've been drinking Dr. Oz's green drink and I've been exercising and I've even been trying to run a little bit. And so trying to make a few changes, I want to try to hang around kind of like Sister Perry. And so I'm making a few changes there. But then I thought about my personal walk with the Lord and as a pastor and a preacher, and I thought, what are some areas that would be good to revisit in my life that might be a blessing to myself and to others in my walk with the Lord? Number one, I think it's important that we have a correct vision for the church and for ourselves and for the gospel. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Three times, I'll mention two of them. Three times my vision became marred. My focus became redirected. Not to say that it's always been correct, but three times specifically that it got off course. And one of them was when we had the funeral services of all of that one whole generation of Brother John Davis, Brother Oris Jackson, Brother Stanford, Brother Petty, all of those faithful brothers and sisters, Brother Polk. Now remember that after Brother Malcolm passed away, that I remember standing before the congregation and I realized that almost all of that entire generation was gone. And I had leaned on those folks a lot. Elder Compton, uh, my pastor, George Johnson, and they were gone. And I had gained a lot of encouragement and a lot of strength. And I didn't like the idea that, well, now I'm where they are. I liked that I had them to lean on. And I began to live in the past 
And Brother Kenny Venable gave me a book, and I'm so thankful that he did. And it says, 11 Marks of a Dying Church. And I know it's not tailored to a Primitive Baptist, but it can certainly, some of the points apply to Primitive Baptist. And one of the points that it, it highlighted there that, that really convicted me, and I repented of it, is that the pastor or the leadership begins to live in the past and feast on past blessings. And I realized that that's where I was. And then I realized almost in the same instance that the young folks that are here now and the little ones, I mean the ones that are, even the ones that are not here this morning, they deserve the same blessing and vision of the church that we had 30 years ago. They deserve the same blessing of it. The second time was when John Taylor passed away in New York. He had been such an encouragement. Never one time did I regret the travel, even getting delayed on in traffic or trains or anything, because I knew that John Taylor was going to be there at the worship service. Whether anybody else was or not, John Taylor was going to be there. In eight and a half years, he never missed one time. He was there every single time. And then suddenly, the Lord took him home, and he wasn't there. And I wondered, is that the fulfillment of that little outreach in New York. And I even expressed it with the folks that were there. And I have to tell you that the Lord has blessed. John was used as, as a catalyst and a great encouragement in his days. But now the work is stronger there than it's ever been. And we have a core group in New York that if others come from Mount Carmel or Southampton or Columbia or other churches, it's a blessing. But it's not required in order to have a service there like it was at one time. I told Brother Thomas said, we miss you coming to New York. We miss Brother James and we miss the folks that at one time were coming. But now there's a core group that's there that meets and they're just as solid as John Taylor was when he was able to be there. So the Lord led through that. So what is the if it says where there is no vision, the people perish. What is the right vision for the church? Paul doesn't leave us to guess of what the vision is for individuals, for each one of us individually, or for the church. We'll look at a couple of examples right here. In Ephesians chapter 3, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul's vision was for you and I. For the church of Jesus Christ, for the individuals and for the church body as a whole. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, he, first of all, I, I want to remind you that Paul, as he encourages folks, he starts off and he tells the folks that the church, everyone that he writes letters to, even if he has to write and emphasize some areas that they need to make changes, he starts out and he tells them how thankful that he is for them. And he says, you're on my heart and I pray for you. And here's what he says that his vision is for the church. He said, I would that, you, that, that he, that the Lord would grant you according to the riches of his glory. I would that you would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. What's he saying, Bray? He's just saying that. I would that you would be strong in the Lord, that you'd be able to stand against the fiery darts of Satan, 
that you'd be able to stand against the seasons of discouragement, the seasons of despair, that you'd be able to stand strong in the midst of everything around you that's changing. He said, I want you to be strong in the Lord, the might of the Lord in the inner man. And he said, he said, I would that you would be strengthened in spirit in the inner man. And he says, I would that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. And he said, I would that you would be rooted and grounded in love. You know, if we're lacking in any area, may it not be that we're lacking in love one for another. He says, I would that you'd be rooted and grounded. Your heart would be grounded in faith. And he says, I would that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. And he said, I would that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ. He says, I would that that this year in 2020, I would that you would know more about Christ, that you'd know more about his love, that you'd know more how deep it is, how broad it is, how high it is. That you'd know the magnitude of God's love in your life. And he says, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I love this next verse right here. Such a wonderful verse. Now unto him. He's also saying, I want your vision to be not on yourself, not on others. Not on the limitations of others, but I want your vision to be on Christ. And he says, I want you to realize this, that Christ is able, that he's able. You know, one of the greatest hallmarks of Elder Bradley's preaching throughout the years is that he gives in his preaching. He points others to Christ and he gives them hope through Christ in the midst of a hopeless situation. The Lord has used him to encourage people to give them hope. And here's what he's saying right here. Now unto him who is able to do, not limited by our own shortcomings, but unto him that's able to do exceeding above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without it. He's just basically saying right here, I want you to understand and grab a hold of the principle that things are not hopeless, but Christ can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And that power works in you. That's Paul's vision. Here's another vision that Paul had. In Philippians chapter 3. This is so good. Verse 1. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul just starts out and he says, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for every remembrance of you. He says, I pray for you. I make requests with joy. I'm thankful for your fellowship in the gospel. He says, I'm confident that what God has started in you, that he's going to complete, he's going to finish, and he'll continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he says, and here's what my vision is for you. He says, I pray 
that your love is going to abound more and more. What's he saying right here? He's saying, I'm praying that your love is going to increase your love for the Lord, your love for one another, your love for your husband, your love for your wife, your love for your children, that your love is going to increase more and more. He says, I pray it will abound. He says, I pray that your love will grow and that it will abound. And he says, and I pray that you'll abound more in knowledge and in all judgment. I find myself a lot of times, oftentimes praying, Lord, would you give me wisdom? We've been taught, we're encouraged to pray for wisdom. I, 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 I need more wisdom. And I pray to the Lord. And I, I know that the Lord's able to grant it. And he's saying right here, I pray that your knowledge will grow, your judgment will grow. And he says that ye may approve the things that are excellent and that ye may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ and that you'll be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. He's saying, I pray that you'll be filled more with the fruits of righteousness. And Paul comes down in other places and he says, I pray that not only will you be filled more with fruits of righteousness, but that you'll also be able to bear much fruit in serving the Lord. So that's, that's Paul's uh, encouragement there. One more place in Colossians. In Colossians, he says in uh, chapter 1, uh, uh, he says, again, I give thanks to the Lord for you. And he says, I give thanks to the Lord for your faith, for your love of the Lord, for your, for your love for the saints, for your hope in heaven. And he says, verse 6, which is coming to you as is in the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. He says uh, in verse 9, he says, for this cause... Also, since the day that we heard that we've heard of your faith, he says, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire. And here he says it again. And this is Paul's vision. He says, and that you desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What he's saying right here is that Paul's saying to the folks right here, he says, I'm praying that you're going to have understanding and light and judgment in following the Lord. I'm praying that you're going to be able to make the right decisions. I'm praying that you're going to be able to pursue the right course. I'm praying that you're going to be able to read God's word and that it's going to come alive and make an impact upon your life. And he's basically saying, I'm praying that you're going to be closer to the Lord this time next year than you are this year because of what God is giving you and God is blessing you with. He says, I'm praying that you'll be, you'll be fruitful, that you'll walk worthy of the Lord in all pleasing. And that you'll be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. I think that he's basically saying right here is that, 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 that we're called to bear fruit. We're called to be uh, productive. We're called to be used of the Lord. The Lord doesn't disperse and give his gifts and his talents so that we will hold on to them or hide them or put them away. 
But what the Lord gives us, what the Lord gives each one of us is for the purpose of using those gifts to the glory of Almighty God. He said, we're to let our light so shine that others seeing our good works would glorify our heavenly father in heaven. God has given each one of us here. If you're a child of God, I don't have any doubt but what you're a child of God. I seriously doubt you'd be here today if you weren't a child of God. That's not saying that everybody that's not here is not a child of God. I'm just saying that if you're here today, that's a really good evidence that you are a child of God because you're here because I expect that you're here is because you want to know more about the Lord. You want to have a little bit closer walk with the Lord. You want to know more about his word and that you probably just love the fellowship of the brothers and sisters with your church family. That's an evidence that you're a child of the king. Paul says, I'll pray that you bear fruit. I pray that you're going to increase in the knowledge of the Lord. And again, he says, Bray, here's one for you. I pray that you're going to be strengthened with might according to his glorious power. He says, unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which made me to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and lights. He just basically saying, you're a child of God. Here's all the stuff that goes along with it. Now you use it and you grow from it and you serve the Lord. And there's no better time to have a starting point or a starting date than at the beginning of the year. To look back up over the past year, look back over it and thank the Lord for the blessings of the past year. The blessings of the past year can be used as a great catalyst and an encouragement in the days ahead. But it's also a good time to do an assessment of our own individual lives and say, Lord, are there any closets that I need to clean out? Do I need to get rid of some stuff? Brother Afton Richards used to say some of the stuff that we need to get rid of. He said, you know, we really didn't need it in the first place. Sometimes there's some things in our life. He used to say that when you present your body a living sacrifice, when you present your body and you desire to follow And as a disciple of Christ and in gospel baptism, he said, there's some things that you need to put away. But he said, there's not anything that you put away that you needed in the first place. So I pray in the new year that we'll bear much fruit. The Lord will prosper our way and that we'll have the right vision for the church and for our own individual lives and a clear view and vision of who Jesus Christ is. I pray that we'll have the right vision and that it's of the Lord. The second point that I'll emphasize. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Hmm. I don't like adversaries. I don't want to be an adversary. Adversary is uh, a messenger of Satan or one that can be used as a messenger of Satan. Satan is our greatest adversary. I want to talk about some of the open doors that are before us. Paul said a great door and effectual is opened unto me. 
Here's the groups that Mount Carmel is either directly or indirectly engaged with. In addition to our church family, God used Mount Carmel specifically. Not that he didn't use others, but he specifically used Mount Carmel to be used as a catalyst. Elsa remembers this and she can amen it as an encouragement for the church at Southampton to start the church at Southampton. God used Mount Carmel in that. Year after year, month after month, week after week, folks would travel up there and encourage that little group. And now it's a strong church with a pastor and soon to be the second young man to be ordained. Brother John Karpinski's probably headed in that direction. And it's so much of a blessing and encouragement to see that it's a viable, strong church. And God used Mount Carmel in starting that group. God is using Mount Carmel right now in the work at New York for so long. It depended very much on the encouragement from the folks at Mount Carmel. There were other folks from Wilmington and Columbia, Southampton, that have encouraged it along the way. And what a blessing that is. But now... There's a core group that's able to have services, as as I mentioned, without the uh, regular support of the Mount Carmel folks. It's a blessing when Mount Carmel can support it, but it's now beginning to function as an independent little group. Mount Carmel is very supportive and encouraging of the group at Columbia. We have visiting preachers. You travel down there, you encourage the little group. When you have a little church of two or three or eight or ten or twelve, it's a great encouragement when you have a carload of folks pull up or Jamie pull up his van and have a van load of young people or Brother Mark or others that come down or the Ethans come down and encourage the little church at Columbia. Several have visited the work in Albuquerque or some have visited the work in Riadosa. As I was traveling back one day on the plane, I wrote down the number of folks at each location. And when I added them up, specifically those four locations that Mount Carmel directly has an impact or indirectly has an impact in, it's 117 people. That's not all. I know it looks like that we've got a small crowd here today I trust the Lord's here and he'll be with us in the service. Brother Steve right now is ministering in Frederick to a group of folks that are over there. Brother Cook is encouraged through the Internet. Folks in Africa that now have over 100 people that worship in an assembly. And so these are groups of folks that are either directly or indirectly related to Mount Carmel. The point being... There's a great and effectual door that's opened unto us. And I thank the Lord for that. One of the last messages that Elder Sonny Piles preached was at the church in Jackson, Mississippi. Brother Sonny had traveled and there were years that he preached 300 times in one year, traveling the country. And Brother David told this at his memorial service. 
He said at one of the last messages that he preached, he said, Dad, just plug this in in the middle of the message. He said, I'm thankful for the opportunities I've had to travel and serve the Lord and preach the gospel. And he said, I wish I could have done more. That ought to be the vision that if the Lord opens doors, that he would use us to serve him. So if the Lord's opening doors, Frederick, Columbia, New York, it's important that the messages be the right messages. So here's my prayer. This was Paul's prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, uh, and for me, he says, I pray that utterance will be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds. And he says it again right here that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He mentions it again in Second uh, Thessalonians. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. He says it this way. I think this should be our prayer. That we individually, when we have an opportunity to share the word of God or the truths of the gospel or the doctrine. And also pray for the ministers, Brother Andy, Brother Chuck, Elder Aquino, myself, Brother John Karpinski, others that might share the word. He says, finally, brethren, he just simply says in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, he says, I just want you to pray for us. He says, you pray for us. In Ephesians, he said that we'll speak boldly. He says it twice right there. Uh, typically, might surprise you, but typically... I'm not just a really bold person to speak before the Lord's people. That's just not typically my nature. Elsa might understand this as a teacher, but when I was in grade school and, and we would have to um, recite a poem, memorize a poem, I was okay memorizing it until I had to stand up and say it in front of folks. I could do it in front of the mirror or do it in the car with my mother taking us to school. But when I stood up in front of 30 other students, everything went blank. In fact, I started looking for sick days when I had to do that just because I didn't like standing in front of folks. So so this is pretty strange that I would be able to stand before you. But Paul simply says, I'm asking you to pray for me. And this is what he says. He says, finally, brethren, I want you to pray that the word of the Lord, that it would have free course. I wonder what that means. He says, I want you to pray that the word of the Lord would have free course and to be glorified. I think this is what he means right here. I want you to pray that I'll have preaching liberty. Now, I have to confess, when you, at least for me, when you start getting close to that 60 mark, I don't think it's just a mindset. It takes a little bit more effort. 
sometimes when I get up in the morning, I used to, I'd just be so excited and, and get up and zealous to go. And now sometimes I have to pray. All right, Lord, give me a little bit extra strength for all the challenges of this day. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that there's a few more challenges that come along at this point. And it makes you lean on the grace of the Lord a little bit more. Well, Paul's saying right here, he says, finally, brethren, I want you to pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course. I think what he's saying right here is that we're not going to be hindered by our own shortcomings. I want you to pray that that when these ministers that come before you, they stand to preach when they're studying or myself, that that God opens our mind to to know what it is that that the Lord's people need to hear. That God will direct our thoughts in that. And uh, I, I don't think it just happens when the Lord blesses the minister to know what we need to hear. I can remember that I heard sermons uh, in my youth and there were particular sermons that, that I knew were directed for me personally to the point that I, I've told you this, that I... And I, and I knew that I'd not discussed it with the minister, but I knew that I had a particular need that was being dressed so spot on that I thought at any more, any minute, he's actually going to call my name out in the congregation because he just knows that this is a need that I have. And, and he didn't. It was specifically one time Elder Bradley who was visiting and preaching. And boy, he was just spot on on the things that I, would, that I was needing. But you know, we shouldn't really be surprised about that. If through the week we're talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you give me light on your word? Or would you bless the minister to, to, to speak on these things? I remember one couple. Uh, they're not here any longer. Not beneficial to say who they were, but uh, they live down south. So that covers a wide area. But they came through the handshake and. And the husband told me, he said, uh, this was after the preaching service and they came through the handshake and the husband told me, he said, my wife and I had an argument over what you preached on this morning and you hadn't preached it yet. And he said, you preached it in such a way that you satisfied both of us. And I didn't even ask any questions. I thought I'm just going to leave that to the Lord. Only the Lord could do something like that. I certainly couldn't do it. I didn't even know they had an issue about that particular topic or what it was. I've learned along the way that sometimes it's best if you just don't ask questions. You know, uh, folks will tell you if they want you to know, but I don't go around just asking a whole bunch. So Paul is saying, I want you to pray that, that the word of the Lord is going to have free course, that, that we'll have preaching liberty. And he says, above all, I want you to pray that the word of the Lord is going to glorify and honor the Lord. I want you to pray that the Lord will be glorified. And he says, and oh, by the way, and when you're praying for us, you can keep this in mind as well. And I want you to pray that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. We are living in troubled times. This is not the same 
things are different than when I was young. I never gave it any thought whatsoever about coming to the house of the Lord and being fearful that evil would come in and start shooting people in the Lord's church. I never thought about that. Uh, We're probably over the next few weeks going to use some discernment and some judgment even in putting some precautions in here at Mount Carmel. Say, well, that's not going to happen to us. I pray that it won't. But some of you have been here long enough to remember that just next door, Mount Zion was robbed at five o'clock during an evening service, and we were here having service at the same time. And they went there instead of coming here. There's some things that we need to do to be mindful of. Uh, Elder Aquino put in a uh, punch pad. And we have a mag lock on the side door and the basement door. And we may use discernment and like some churches do and put a, a lock on the door that uh, we lock it at 11 o'clock. And, uh, and, and folks will have to uh, get access in. Going to put a, uh, put a uh, panic button underneath the pulpit here and at Columbia. Elder Mike Rogers gave us that information. He said that's what we do in San Antonio. And just using some discernment and some, some caution in areas like that. It's a different age in which we're living in. And we need to pray that God will deliver us from unreasonable and evil and wicked men. We do. Now, Elder Conrado Quinto in the Philippines told us, he said, Brother Stephen, he said, when folks have... A doctor's appointment, they get there on time or they get there early. If they're going to a ball game, they get there on time. And he says, I've instructed and encouraged the congregation that our service starts at 1030. Our, our song service, and that's part of the worship service that we start at 1030. He said, after I taught that for a season, he says, I've shared this with you. And I found this out when I went to the Philippines. He said, at 10.30, we lock the door. He says, I've looked out the street and I've seen folks running to get there before we lock the door. Well, I'm not saying we'll lock the door at 10.30, but for safety's sake, we may start locking at 11 o'clock and we may have someone appointed to let folks in. But I tell you, as a New Year's resolution, here's one that's really, really easy. And it'll be a great encouragement to the rest of us. Try to keep in mind that the Lord's going to be with us and meet with us on Sunday morning. And he just might meet with us through that first song that we sing. You don't want to miss out on that. You want to be there. If the Lord's going to be there, you want to be there. And you'll be a great encouragement to the rest of us. Plus, you won't put Brother Tom and Brother... James and myself in fear of just having a little trio uh, to get through the song service. It's a really good New Year's resolution. I want you to pray that the word of the Lord will have free course and that the Lord will be glorified. Now, I've got two minutes and about eight points, and so I'm just going to hit a few right here that uh, we're going to sum it up. I want to pray that in 2020 that I'm able to handle and that you're able to handle the fiery darts of Satan more effectively.
here's some fiery darts that I face. If I face them, very likely it may be that you face them as well. Anybody here ever get overwhelmed? I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Then when you get overwhelmed, you run to a favorite verse of mine because it helps me a whole lot. Psalm 61, verse 2. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. So when you get overwhelmed, you go to the Lord. You take it to the Lord. The Lord knows all about your situation far better than we know about it ourselves. And he's able to help us. Sometimes I get overwhelmed. But when I get overwhelmed, I run, take it to the Lord. The second one is, this one helps me. Does anybody ever get distracted? I mean, on your service or commitment to the Lord. I'm so glad that I'm here. Misery loves company. So I'm glad that I'm here with, in good company. You ever get distracted? This what this what helps me. Maybe it'll help you. Nehemiah is my hero in the Old Testament. I love the book of Nehemiah. I like Nehemiah because Nehemiah was an optimist. Nehemiah had a great vision. Nehemiah was always, if there was a glass of water or milk, he saw it. He saw it as being full rather than half empty. And that's how Nehemiah thought about everything. Nehemiah saw that there was a great work before him in restoring the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding the fence and the walls around the city. And Nehemiah was focused on the work. Now, Satan doesn't like that. He didn't like it in the times of Nehemiah. And so Satan sent some folks, and their name was Sanballat and Tobiah. And this was the attack that they made upon Nehemiah. They tried everything that they could to hinder the work. They told him that his work was not of quality, that you build a wall like that, if even the foxes come up, they'll knock it down. Well, that's not real encouraging. But Nehemiah was focused on the work and Nehemiah saw it for what it was. Nehemiah, rather than get distracted when Sanballat and Tobiah came up, the enemies, those that were opposing the work that was being done. They finally, after they approached him over and over again and said they tried to belittle what he was doing. They tried to mock it. They tried to tell him all the things that were wrong with it. And then finally they came up and Nehemiah was working and he was there with a whole bunch of folks that were working and they were, the Lord was prospering their labors. They were looking to the Lord. And then Sanballat and Tobiah came up and they said, Nehemiah, would you just come off the ladder for a little while? Would you just step down for a little while? We just want to talk to you. Nehemiah could see through it. Listen, in the kingdom, we're either building up or we're tearing down. We are. And, and honestly, I realize I don't have that much time left. Maybe I did when I was 20 or 30. But at this point in my life, I'm not, I don't have enough time to be spending it in tearing things down. What time I have, I want to spend it in building up. And I want to be around people that are going to build up. That's going to be my effort and my goal. 
And when Sanballat and Tobiah came up to Nehemiah, they said, well, why don't you just come down off the wall for a little while and talk to us? And Nehemiah said to them, Nehemiah turned around and he said to them, he says, you have no place or no right here. He says, what we're doing, we're doing of the Lord. We have a great work that we're doing, and I'm not even going to be distracted by allowing you the time for me to come down and have a conversation with you that's going to hinder the work. Pray that God will bless you to overcome distractions along the way. And then the last one. No, this is not the last one. There's two more. Discouragement. Anybody ever get discouraged? Well, I hope that this message encourages you. Here's one that blesses me. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Jehoshaphat there saw the enemy coming and the enemy was stronger and bigger and more powerful than they were. And Jehoshaphat saw the enemy and he just simply said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do. He says, Lord, neither know we what to do. Now, that's pretty discouraging that you don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? You just don't know what to do. I pray for wisdom. I pray for light. And, and God, I feel like oftentimes gives it. But sometimes there's times that I just don't know what to do. And Nehemiah said, I mean, uh, uh, Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do. But he said, in the middle of not knowing what to do, here's our mindset. He said, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon the Lord. So you want to know how to overcome discouragement. Don't look at the problem. You look at the Lord. You take it to the Lord. You give it to the Lord and you look to the Lord. Discouragement and despair, giving up are right there together. And right here in Second Chronicles chapter 20, this solves both. Jehoshaphat said, neither know we what to do. But he said, while we're looking for the Lord and we're waiting on the Lord to give us direction, he said, our eyes are upon the Lord. And he says, he goes on down and it says, an angel of the Lord revealed a message to him. And he says, Jehoshaphat, he says, you keep looking to the Lord. Because he says the battle is the Lord's. There's some things we can't fix. In fact, oftentimes I find through my own personal experience that if I try to fix something, if I try to make it happen, usually I make it worse. But when I take it and I turn it over to the Lord and realize that that battle's the Lord's, I've tried to fix it. I've made it worse. When the Lord fixes it, he fixes it just right. That's how I face being overwhelmed, distracted, discouragement, or overcome with despair. And the last one that I'll mention right here is that I pray that in 2020, that I and you, I pray that we will be better, Paul says it this way, in samples or examples. The older women are taught that they have a special, special role. I'm thinking we don't have any older women here today. But when you get there, you've got a special role 
in setting and teaching the younger women. And the way that you teach them is by the example. The older men have a special, special role. And the way that the older men teach is by example. The pastors, the deacons, the young men pray. Tristan, the young folks look up to y'all. You may not realize it, but they do. And they're watching you. They're watching how you respond to things. They're watching how you handle things. Not to put undue pressure on you, but they're watching and you're going to have an impact upon how they make decisions. I pray that we'll be used as a better example to encourage others. That God would bless us to be a witness and shine our light. And that when we're off the scene, that folks will look back upon us. They won't look at us with a mindset, well, boy, Brother Stephen went around and he sure was a contentious old fellow. Everywhere he went, he was stirring something up or causing brush fires. I pray that God will look back upon us and that the people that he that follow us, that they'll look back upon us and we'll be like the Oris Jacksons, like the John Davises, like those faithful ones, the James Comptons. Brother Compton said it this way, the best. He's past 100 years of age. He said, don't ask me to hurt anybody. You ask me to help them, I'll do everything I can to do that. But don't ask me to hurt somebody. That's a really good mindset to live by and to die by. That God would bless us to be an example. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you.